0: Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here with Benny Lewis for a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, we're chatting with Fluent in Three Months Challenge alum, Manish, about his experience joining us in multiple challenges over several years. What's the Fluent in Three Months Challenge? It's a 90-day program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation in a new language alongside a supportive community of language learners. You can learn more and join us at languagehacking.com challenge. Now, in our chat with Manish, we talk about finding the confidence to talk to strangers in another language, what to do when someone close to you doesn't support your language learning goals. Moving from in-person classes to learning online with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, juggling multiple languages, the value of community and support in language learning, Manisha's experience across many years of taking part in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, strategies for reviewing languages and processing past notes, and paying it forward and sharing your experience with new learners. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, you can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com review. We always enjoy hearing from you and your reviews let other language learners like yourself find us. All of the resources and links mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. Now let's get into our interview with Manish. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 91. Welcome to the language hacking podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, we're talking with one of our Fluent in Three Month Challenge participants, Manish, and he's going to talk about his experience with us in the challenge. Um, He's also tried out a ton of the Fluent in Three Months courses, so it'll be awesome to get his feedback on that and his experience with those courses. But let's get right into it. So, Manish, how did you get started with language learning?
1: It's going to sound a bit odd, maybe even a cliche, When I was in high school, I wanted nothing to do with language learning. I thought it was a waste of time. I got good grades in the language courses I took, but like I just didn't want to focus on languages at all. I didn't really like them. I was able to do okay in the classes, but like I just didn't want anything to do with languages. I went to university and I got, did well enough for my Spanish AP so that I wouldn't have to take a language class in college. So I was really excited about that. I know that the, in college they offer a number of different language courses and I wanted to take none of them. Then after I graduated from college, I uh, was working working in finance for a few years. Again, didn't see any real uh have any real interest in languages. And then after that I actually saw a few videos of people speaking in different languages. Um I think I saw Tim Donra's video, I saw I think I saw Benny's video, I saw the video of I think his name is Lao Shu. He's an African-American who was doing 50 languages. And I saw the videos and I'm not sure why, but I think for some reason they just resonated with me. And I thought what they're doing was really cool. So um, I started getting interested in language learning. Both my parents weren't that into it, even though they speak multiple languages. So my mom, dad uh, can speak, Uh, Hindi, Punjabi, Telugu, and English. So initially when I was getting involved in learning more languages, I was thinking initially I'd start with like uh, Hindi um, because I was very interested in that. Because obviously my family has you know some heritage in India, and so I thought that initially it would be a good idea to you know learn Hindi. But my dad wasn't really that supportive of it. He basically what he thought was that you know like in India, if people don't speak Hindi, they can speak English, and there are a lot of people who speak English in in India. So he he wasn't really that supportive of my learning like Indian languages. But he did think that there was value in my learning Spanish. So initially in the beginning I started learning Hindi and Punjabi and Spanish and from there what would happen was we would go to new events with new people and I would hear people talking in languages that weren't those three, Hindi, Punjabi or Spanish. So I just made a decision that like okay I'm just going to write down what they're they're saying and ask them what, what it means just in, just for fun and it started getting like the list started getting very very long i would hear people speak in gujarati nepali um i heard people occasionally speaking in french i i may have heard some people speaking in italian and i'd just politely ask them like you know okay i'm interested in learning languages what did you say and what does it mean and for all of these things what i did was i basically wrote down notes in my phone And it's not necessarily the best way to do it because I know that I've used PIMSA before and PIMSA basically says that if you write it down in English words, you're more likely to pronounce the the sounds in an English way instead of the native language way. And so it, it may not have been the best, but it was really easy for me and I still do it all the time. And that's how I really got into learning languages in general. And from there, it's just been expanding my horizons, learning, um, trying out different languages, trying different methods, hearing different podcasts and, uh, taking classes. So that's kind of been how it went. So,
2: one thing that, um, could intimidate a lot of people that you incorporated very well when you were exploring all those languages was just approaching people and asking them like what language did you just speak and what did you just say like was that uh, a scary thing or how did you push through the fact that you you may have initially been worried that these strangers may uh, be mad at you for talking to them
1: initially i i didn't have too much of an issue because um the people i met were really friendly and i just think that Most people are very happy to share their languages with you. I think a lot of people wonder, well, what what are they going to think? Are they going to be like angry? Are they going to be upset? But most of the people I've met are very, very happy to share their languages with you and to tell you what it means. And they get very excited, actually, when you show an interest in learning their language. I know for Tamil, for example, my mom told a Tamilian friend of my cousin that I was that I was learning that language. And he was very happy. He was very, very surprised and very happy, very supportive. Um, Most people, most people don't think negatively of it. So I would think that like my best advice to anybody out there who's listening to this podcast is that you don't need to worry about that because most people are very friendly and very nice. I have yet to meet one person who is angry that I asked, uh, what what did you just say and what does it mean and what language is it? Not one person ever told me that. So I would say that anybody who's interested in language learning that, You should get over any fears and just ask people, talk to them, because most people are very happy to share their experiences with you.
0: Now, you mentioned um, that your dad or your parents in general weren't super supportive of what your language learning goals were specifically. They were okay with you learning Spanish. They saw the practicality in that, but they didn't understand your desire to learn a lot of the Indian languages. So I know for a lot of learners that that could be really discouraging and deter them from learning languages or feeling even like they can talk about it. So I guess my question is two part. One, how did you find the courage to just say, well, I'm going to do it anyways with Um, Someone who didn't agree with your decision very close to you. And then where did you end up finding that support that you needed in order to pursue your language learning
1: goals? Basically, what happened was I was practicing languages with just my phone. And I would be, uh, in addition to writing things down, what I would do is I would uh, look up things on the Internet see what the phrases were and then write them down on my phone with the translation and then i would record myself saying those things and hear my hear myself after recording it and seeing how exactly it was that I sounded. Then I was just driving around one time and I was stopped at a Hindu temple. It's a temple that my parents and family have visited before and there they were advertising language classes in a lot of the Indian languages that I was interested in. The thing is that my dad wasn't necessarily super supportive of my learning Hindi and uh, and Telugu. Partly it's because my parents likes telling secrets in telugu so they uh they if there's anything that they don't want my sister or i to understand they would they would say it in telugu but uh i saw this advertisement for language classes in this temple that i visited and i went there and they had a bunch of languages that i was interested in I visited them, I think it was in June, so they were finishing up their year. So I just sat in a Tamil class and, um, I said, you know, this is, looks like an interesting thing. I'll, I'll definitely like to participate in this. And I started going there regularly. And initially what happened was, um, I, there was a summer session where they were teaching kids Thelgu. And so what I did was I said, I'm going to go there every Sunday. My attendance wasn't perfect. But what I did was I wrote in in the booklet I was given all the uh, Telugu letters. And so initially, if I since I, my attendance wasn't perfect, the initial lady who, who met me and who was in charge of the Thelgu classes, so she was like, oh, you didn't attend all the classes. What have you been up to? Blah, 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 blah. So I came there and I showed her all the worksheets that I had done and worked through. And she was very happy. And so then um, she gave me a recommendation to continue learning. So each Sunday I would go to this uh, Hindu temple and I would sit in for all the language classes from the morning to the evening. The people there were very nice. They were very supportive. Most of the people there, actually, the kids, people were learning were significantly younger than me, but there wasn't any issue there in the sense that they were very supportive. They were very happy that somebody like me was learning uh, all these South Indian languages. And ironically, even though my parents weren't necessarily super supportive of it, their upbringing of me actually made my learning South Indian languages possible. Because what happened is, in India, there are separate regions. and uh, There are different states, and each state has its own uh, language. And there are a lot of differences between North Indians and South Indians. So culturally speaking, they speak different languages. Um, in the South, a lot of people don't like speaking North Indian languages. They prefer their South Indian languages. They eat different foods. Their Hindu temples are different in the South than those in the North. So... If, if someone was initially from North India and he, he or she wanted to learn languages in South India, in India, it would be seen a little, as a little strange because usually people don't do that. But the thing is, what happened is my parents themselves are of Punjabi descent. So they're North Indian, but my grandparents actually moved from Punjab to Telangana, which is a state in South India. So my parents grew up speaking both Punjabi, which is a North Indian language. Hindi, which is a North Indian language, and Thelgu, which is a South Indian language. They had many South Indian friends. They ate South Indian food. And when they came here, and after my sister and I were born, they would take us to South Indian restaurants all the time. They would take us to restaurants where you eat idli, dosha, vara, typical South Indian dishes they would take us to South Indian temples because they were used to going to South Indian temples just as much as North Indian temples. They never said, oh, we're North Indian, we're only going to go to North Indian temples or only eat North Indian food. And that was something that made my learning uh, South Indian languages possible because if they hadn't shown me that South Indian culture had value, I probably would have just stuck with learning Hindi and Punjabi and nothing from South India. Their um openness to both North and South Indian culture made my learnings of South Indian languages possible. Even though they weren't super supportive of it, sometimes they would take me in the car and drop me off. In Telugu, they've given me tips. Um, sometimes I've even asked them for help with the homework, that sort of thing. And so despite the fact that they haven't been super supportive necessarily, they have been supportive in other ways, like driving me if I wasn't able to drive. And the place I've been taking classes in isn't very close by. It's about like an hour and 20 minutes away. For the pandemic, they've been doing all the classes through Zoom. So I haven't had to drive or go anywhere. But when they resume classes in person, I'll be going to New Jersey and going to this temple, continuing with the classes there and uh, just working on them and improving them.
2: So how did you then go from uh, mainly having these in-person classes to discovering the what was previously called the Add One Challenge and now the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. How did that become a part of your story?
1: I think in the beginning itself, I was open to learning multiple languages and interested in becoming a polyglot because I didn't just stop at you know, learning these languages in in the temple classes, I wanted to expand my horizons. And so I looked up a lot of different uh, resources. I looked at a lot of different challenges and I'm not sure how exactly I learned about the challenge. I think it may have been a Facebook post or a Facebook ad. And what I did was when I tried it, I met a lot of people who felt the same way about languages. One of the great things about the One challenge, the Fluent Three Months challenge, is that there are lots of people who are supportive and they're interested in learning languages, and they're there to give you emotional support. They're there to give you uh, support in terms of re- recommendations for resources, that sort of thing. And so I really liked it. And one of the things I really liked about was the fact that people are always telling you about new resources, new websites, new apps you can use. It, be- it was a really great experience. And so I would recommend the AdWin or Fluent or Three to Anybody who wants to learn a new language. And I'm not being paid by Benny to say this or paid by Shannon to say this. I really think it's a wonderful way to connect with people who are similar minded about learning languages and for getting support and uh, getting ideas about in ideas about resource that you can use in terms of learning languages.
0: So you've been doing the challenge for some time now, and I think pretty much around the time one of your challenges finishes, you're jumping into a new one. And as a part of these challenges, you're often rotating which language you're focusing on. So talk a little bit about that process for you. How do you decide what language you're going to focus on, what language you're going to learn, when you're going to add a new one, when you're going to go and refocus on something that you spent time on in the past?
1: Basically, what I do is I try to uh, see what language I'm going to be interested in for the next couple of months. I did it with the the Indian languages I was learning, and it was very helpful in, in particular for some of them to kind of get help from the people at this Hindu temple I go to. Basically, I think it's just a matter of rotating between them. And to be honest, I think I think I mentioned, started mentioning this before, but I think I always had an intention of wanting to become a polyglot because what happened was initially, since I would hear people speaking other languages, I would write down what they'd say and save it as a, a new note in my phone. I I ended up with notes from lots of different languages. And so um, what I would think about is like, which language am I interested in? And the priorities I first gave were to the Indian languages. Well, first was Mandarin, and then I prioritized um, the Indian languages. I just wanted to do like a separate one each three months. And I thought that would be uh, really helpful for the projects that, for the language learning projects that I was doing. And then a lot of times, after I've finished one, I take a look and see, okay, what language would I be interested in learning now? And I always look at it also in terms of resources. I haven't chosen a language where there's no resources available. If I if I did that, it would be very difficult for me. And I know there's some people in the challenge who do go out to learn languages that are not very popular and that are only spoken by, you know, a small amount of people. But um, for me, I look into languages that I'm interested in and that also have uh, enough resources for me to use to really learn that language and pick up that language.
2: And how has your process changed over the years because you've done so many different challenges, how do you see it as different from those early ones to the ones you do more recently?
1: I would say that now I'm focused more on conversation. Before I would do uh more stuff dealing with like writing, for example. But now I'd say I'm focused more on conversation. I think I value the uh dream teams more now than I did before, because before I would be like the only person learning like Khanid or like Felgu or something like that. I would say that I focus more on conversation now. And the other thing is that I'm used to the fact that it's a supportive community, but the one thing I, I look for more now is resource recommendations. Someone will say, okay, I found this really useful website to learn this language. Someone will say, you know, um, I've used this method. And that's something I'm, I like experimenting with and like uh, using. So that's kind of what I do more now than before.
0: Now that you've done multiple challenges, I think one of the questions is like, you know, I've already done it, I know the system, but something obviously keeps bringing you back. What would you say that that is?
1: I would say it's the the community and I would say that it's the resource recommendations. Language resources continue to be updated. Language resources continue to be made. I've learned about a lot of great apps from people. Um, people will tell me, "Oh, I used this language learning app, or I learned I used this particular method, and that I think is very, very helpful i I like seeing what other people are doing in other languages as well. I think that it that it's very important to have some sort of supportive community there, and I think that these challenges support people in doing those sorts of things. It's possible, I think, to learn on your own. And I have done it in the past, but it it makes the process a lot easier um, if you have other people to go with. I think there's a proverb when you sign up for the challenge that you uh, hear about, you read. If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go with other people. Like that's my paraphrase of it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely the community, um, definitely uh, learning about new resources, uh, what people are thinking, that sort of thing.
2: And for those who wouldn't know about it, what is a dream team and what have been the advantages of that in particular?
1: A dream team is a group of people who are learning the same languages as you, or it's for people who are learning languages that are they're that all different but they basically meet to kind of discuss any challenges they have and for support and guidance and that sort of thing. The first dream team I had was when I was learning Mandarin and the, the, the diversity of people was just amazing. I mean, there was a guy who was from either England or Scotland and he was dialing in from there. There were other people, there was a guy from um, South America or, or or Central America and the, they were discussing, uh, you know, their challenges in learning Mandarin things that they had tried. They were very supportive. I remember I wrote you know, one thing where I said, okay, I made this video and the people were very supportive about it. And so I really liked the experience. And I think it's, it's, it's re- the community aspect is really very, very helpful to, to anyone who wants to learn a new language. So I'm going to
0: return back to the topic of the fact that you've learned so many different languages. Um, And I know from chats with you that you've dabbled in Slavic languages like Russian, Asian languages like Chinese, um, lots of the Indian languages. You've also studied Spanish and dabbled in French. So how do you manage all of these different languages from such diverse language families?
1: What I like to do is, well, what I used to do before which was very helpful, was I would actually spend five minutes speaking in the respective language that i wanted to maintain and i would i would have what do what i would call like a, i call it a voice diary i would basically describe what i did that day and how i felt in a, the particular language and then what i would do is i would listen to it hear how my pronunciation was and then what i would do is i would try to say the same exact stuff i said in the first language in the second language and then I'd record myself again speaking that language and hear how I sound, then go for a third language. It was very, very helpful. I'm not sure exactly why I chose to do it that way, but it was very, very helpful. And what I do now is, I what I try to do is I try to get more exposure to a particular language and maintain that exposure over time to make sure it's consistent. I'll give you an example of uh, RIPE. I take RIPE lessons with different to have taken it with different tutors. And one of the things I was finding was that if I wanted to be really good at one language, I would need to have consistent exposure to it over time. So instead of dedicating the hours I got for each RIPE month, instead of instead of basically using it on different languages, I would try to be more consistent. And what I try to do is I try to get more exposure to the languages outside of the classes that I've taken. So I have I've taken italki lessons. The people, the italki teachers have been really great. And basically what I'm trying to do is I try to get some exposure so what what i've noticed is if i take notes and then i don't look at them ever again it's not very helpful so what i've been trying to do is i've been trying to take notes and then review those notes later on and i only reviewed them a couple of times a week And the next, but when the next class came, I was really sharp and really, you know, ready. And my teacher knew that I really knew the material, that sort of thing. So that's the strategy I'm trying to use now more of where I just review the stuff I've learned. And that review is very, very important because, um, there were times where. Um, maintaining all of these languages was very difficult, because I would go to one class on Sunday, then I'd have another class then, another class, then another class, then another class, then another class. And um people themselves would ask me, like, you know, like, are you able to learn all these languages? And and I told them that I was definitely interested in learning all of them. And the, the thing that was, I think, that that's been important is that I didn't give up starting reviewing more about these languages, just like in terms of the notes that I took during class. What I've been doing is I've been writing everything down on my phone. So what I do is like if I hear a word, for example, I'll write it in Roman alphabet. Alphabet, and if like someone says something like Bagunara for Telugu, for example. I wrote it down on my phone and wrote down the meaning and maintaining those notes and looking back at those notes as well as doing my like voice diaries where I record myself speaking in particular languages and then try to say the same exact thing in another language. Those have been very, very helpful. And I've noticed that the times at which I've been consistent and doing things like every day or close to every day, um, my language prowess at a particular language increases dramatically. And if I don't do it consistently, it's, it's just, it's almost as if if I hadn't even reviewed them.
2: So, how do you have some kind of a system to process these notes? Because whenever I've tried to take notes when I'm out and about and I use a note taking app on my phone, then it just accumulates to this mess that I keep telling myself, oh, you know, I'll, I'll process that someday. But do you have like a tagging system or do you have a way to filter that into an easier to review system? Like, how do you take something that you write very briefly when you're out and about? and transfer that into a useful long-term note storage method?
1: I think that's a great question. To be honest, I haven't been tagging anything too much. I have a ton of notes on my phone. I take notes about literally everything. And I haven't tagged anything yet. In the future, I think I would like to. Um, one other method that I think that's very helpful, uh, I think was related to the previous question, is that what I do, what I used to do is, and what I, I'm still doing now is I like to think about the notes I take as, in not just one language, but I write multiple languages. So, for example, I would say that like in in Punjabi, the U formal is Tusi. Then in uh, Hindi, it's Ap. In Spanish, it's usted. And so I've created notes where I kind of see what the different uh, languages are, say, for each like word. And those multilingual notes have been pretty helpful. I put them in like a separate category, but hashtagging would be very helpful. I think in the future, I think in in the future, just because with the amount of notes I have, it would be very, very helpful. The other thing is that I would say that I want to review more notes that I've taken like from a long time ago, just to kind of review them. I think because I reviewed them, I reviewed a lot of these notes frequently, I was able to remember them over time. The only thing is though, that um I definitely agree with you that the notes can become very, very um random. I have things like, I have like phrases like, okay, my name is, and then I'll jump to like numbers, or I'll jump to like colors, that sort of thing. I haven't uh, utilized Anki and Goldlist as much as I would like, but I definitely think in the future I would be utilizing both of them and that in the future I would be adding hashtags to my notes just to kind of make my learning a little easier.
0: You have mentioned a few times now that you had this goal of becoming a polyglot. Now, given your experience in history, would you say that you've arrived at that point?
1: I would say I still have some uh, some ways to go. One of the things I've noticed is that one issue I've had is that if I start learning, when I start learning a bunch of different languages, I have to do something up to improve my prior languages also, just to make sure that the, I don't forget them. I would say that my interests are still worldly. I still am interested in learning multiple languages. Um, it's just a matter of getting... Perfecting them, that sort of thing, and so I'm interested in studying for um, the DELE exam, for example, for Spanish. Um, other exams for other other languages, and I would say after getting to like a C2 level, I would consider myself, you know, like someone who's you know really pretty solid in uh, that language. Uh, and I would say that you know that would be along the way to uh, being a polyglot. The other thing is that um, I think what polyglots do is. They're very friendly, they're very um open to giving advice that sort of thing and so um i'm just I'm just happy to be able to learn from people who uh like you and Benny and other people who have who speak so many different languages and uh yeah being at a at a very fluent level in the languages I've learned is something that's definitely a goal of mine in the future
2: and I'm sure at this stage that you've actually within the community. You've been able to give other people advice because you've been a part of it for so long that, like you said, one advantage is getting resources from other people. But I'm sure that questions have arisen where you've actually come and you've, you've answered other people's questions, right?
1: Yes, yes, I have. Um, I was able to, I was able to tell people, some people, about a gold list, for example, because I had heard a lot about it and learned about that method. Um, I've been able to tell people, I've been able to give advice to my sister and brother in law. Um, my sister is a doctor. My brother in law is also a doctor and they both wanted to learn Spanish because basically, um, they have a lot of patients, um, of Spanish origin. And so, um, I've been able to, you know, tell my sister and my brother-in-law, okay, these are the kinds of, uh, things you should learn. Here's the kind of stuff you, you would know, need to know from medical Spanish, that sort of thing. And I think that, that part is just as important as learning from other people because, you know, learning from other people is great. It's very, it's, it's very helpful, but giving back to the community is also very important. Also,
0: what would you say one of your most memorable moments in the challenges?
1: I would say that uh, one of the most memorable moments was when I was able to make a video that was significantly better and more improved than before. The other thing was I would say I really remember conversations I've had with the uh, dream team members because they're just, they, they all come from some such different perspectives. And it's not just that they're supportive. They're also just interesting people also. And so I remember, you know, For example, there was a guy who was telling me about a joke he told in Mandarin. I uh, remember um, other stories that I've heard from other uh, Dream Team members also. It's really a very diverse group of people. And that's the thing that I think is, is important it's definitely something that brings lots of people together and it, it it brings people together that i think that wouldn't normally know each other or wouldn't normally be together in, in 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 many ways just because of the geographic differences so i'd say basically being able to create a video that's really really better than before and um being able to talk and have conversations with dream team members has been very helpful
2: so there's lots of advantages to the polyglot life. And like you said, it's something that you wanted to aspire to for a long time and potentially reaching that C2 level in some languages as well. But I'm wondering what other, uh, what other goals you have with your languages and where do you see yourself in a few years where you can use these languages in other ways? and What future languages do you think you might add?
1: One thing I definitely want to have been looking into is teaching English abroad. Obviously, I think they require a bachelor's degree. I have a bachelor's degree. Um, so I've been thinking about teaching English in other countries and going abroad. The, the other languages that I'm interested in, um, are, uh, languages such as Japanese, languages such as th- Thai. Um, I have books, I've basically gotten books from for these languages, and I want to really be able to use them. One thing that I'd also like to do is I want to make sure that I solidify my my core languages. There are four core languages that I have studied that are kind of like the most important to me. Um, One is Hindi, one is Punjabi, one is Spanish, and one is English. Um, so I want to make sure that I don't lose anything from those. So I'm always working on maintaining them. My first language actually isn't English. The first language that I learned was actually Punjabi. When I was two, my cousin told me that I would speak Punjabi better than the people in Punjab. So I was very good at it. But what happened was when I went to school, everyone was talking English. So I learned English also, and I didn't really learn, know as much about Hindi or Punjabi. What, ha- what happened was, though, that because I was at home... And because I started writing down everything my parents were saying in Hindi and Punjabi and writing down the definitions, my fluency in those languages really improved. I would say that uh, I'm much more conversational than before in those particular uh, languages. The other thing is that I look I I look at languages that in in terms of like where would I like to go to. So J- Japanese is definitely something that I'd definitely be interested in doing in the future. Italian is something I'd be interested in doing in the future. And really, I look at it in. Terms in terms of resources, and I've also looked at it in terms of how many people speak that language with South Indian languages, it may seem counterintuitive, but the thing is like each state in South India has millions and millions of people. I think Tamil, for example, there are more than forty million people that speak it, and so the thing that drew me to these South Indian languages was the fact that they were they were not particularly popular but so many people spoke them and when you looked at like for example like swedish for example it's maybe like 10 i'm not sure if if, if i don't know the exact amount but it's maybe like 10 12 million people only and there's a, there's a whole course for it on language pod 101 for example there are lots of resources for learning swedish in iceland for example there're only about like 400,000 500,000 people and there there are books about learning icelandic and so i just one thing that i like to do is i like to learn about languages that Although there aren't necessarily very popular, they, they have a huge population of people learning them. That way, when I can go to these particular places, I can you know, speak in that language um, and really apply them. So Japanese, Italian, I would say Urdu also.
0: It's definitely an interesting perspective to think of things and different decisions as to why you learn new languages and deciding which languages you want to learn. Let's kind of change topics a little bit. Um, And I'm going to ask you a question that we like to ask all of the guests that we have on the podcast. And that is, what is your definition of language hacking?
1: Language hacking, I think, is it's basically learning how to sound more like a native speaker that isn't discussed in textbooks. I'll give you a good example from uh, two guys uh, who are teaching Spanish and who have learned a lot of hacking tips from and basically what they tell me is like I'll start speaking Spanish and they'll be like well you know what you learn sounds really good from what a textbook would tell you but people don't speak that way. And so I think language hacking is really looking at what the slang is, what the colloquialisms are and that's I think incredibly important because if you just go to a country and you've learned stuff from a textbook, I have textbooks. I don't have anything against learning from textbooks, but if you go to a country and you just learn stuff from a textbook, you won't know, for example, for that um in Portuguese that they use the word, ver- the words agenci instead of you know, instead of talking about like another word. And I think that's incredibly important because, you know, you don't want to stick out like a sore thumb as somebody who like, if you're learning a language, they are very appreciative. But if you're using stuff that's from a textbook, it just sounds very artificial. And so language hacking, I think, is basically learning the slangs, learning the colloquialisms, learning how people actually speak in terms of pronunciation. Right now, I've been working with two guys. um, I think their name are Ruben and Dustin. They have Spanish speaking hacks. They also do Something for English-speaking hacks for Spanish native speakers who want to learn English, and they are really have been really great in terms of telling me like what is actually said in Spanish-speaking countries versus what just is comes from a textbook. So like different words and phrases that they use, different somewhat different vocabulary, pronunciation, and that's the sort of those are the sorts of language hacking things that I'm very interested in. Because I don't want to go to a country and have people say, oh, okay, good job. You know how to speak Hindi or Punjabi from a textbook. Very good. But we don't actually say those things here. Um, I want to be able to sound like a native and interact with them, that sort of thing.
2: Excellent stuff. Well, this is a very interesting interview. Thank you for sharing your story with us today, Manish. Really appreciated it. So for everybody listening, we will, of course, wish you a very happy language learning. And until the next time
0: happy language learning. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share a takeaway, something that we learned in our conversation with our guests. And this is something that you can put into your language learning right away. Try out this week, see how it works for you. And so we'll start with you, Benny. What was your takeaway from our conversation with Manish
2: So there was a a very good theme of uh, being okay with getting support from other people. And the theme of community came up and what he got from the challenge in particular. But what I especially liked was what he said about approaching complete strangers, because I know this is something that could cause so much anxiety for a lot of people. And when it's pure anxiety, that's that's not something you're just going to necessarily solve immediately. Um, that if it's internal issues you're working through, but if it's based on this presumption that other people are going to be mad at you, uh, there's just countless evidence against that. And I like what Manish was saying, that people are always happy and excited and supportive when you're showing an interest in their language. And they were very glad to uh, to help them write down what they were just saying and talk about the language they were just speaking and this goes against what we intuitively imagine that that would annoy people if we approach them and ask them these questions. So whether it's based on anxiety or it's based on this presumption, I would really like people to to hear what Manish said about that, that it's absolutely not true, that you can approach people whenever you he- have an opportunity to use another language. And what was your takeaway?
0: My takeaway I would have to say is what he mentioned about doing review and going through your notes. And I know this is similar to something that I've heard you say as well. I think for me, I have this tendency to just drop into my lessons and conversations cold (laughs) and it always works out in the end. But I definitely think that if I spent some time prior to my conversations and lessons, doing some review and getting my head into the language, I could do a whole lot better and get a little bit further. And I know you had mentioned that in the past, you've spent as much as like the entire hour before your lesson reviewing what you went over in the previous lessons and kind of getting into the headspace of that language. So that's definitely something that I'd like to try out this week and see how it goes for me is shifting gears rather than just starting my lesson. And that's when that transition happens for me. So that's going to be it. I think I also really liked his openness in general to like feedback and resources and basically everything. And I think that that's all a mindset that we could definitely benefit from having a little bit more of is that kind of acceptance and that kind of willingness to constantly try things out and experiment and, you know, do something different, a little bit novel, a little bit new.
2: Very good. Yeah. And I I would definitely say like uh, putting time before your classes is very essential. Like in my calendar, obviously the actual lesson is blocked off, but I genuinely block my calendar the entire hour before that lesson. And I've already earmarked that for language studies so that I don't have any last minute appointments come up or something. That way I do genuinely have that time.
0: All right. Well, once again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always love hearing from you. You can share your thoughts with us over at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links and resources and everything else mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. And until the next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pasco. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.